This Janet Meffer Today podcast is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-601-BABY. That's 855-601-2229 or visit preborn.com. This is Janet Mefford today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the word of God says it, I believe it. And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us again. A federal appeals court recently suspended the Biden-ordered OSHA emergency temporary standard requiring all employers of 100 or more to develop, implement, and enforce a mandatory COVID-19 vaccination policy and require any workers who remain unvaccinated to undergo weekly COVID-19 testing and wear a face covering at work in lieu of vaccination. It's absurd and, as many in the legal field have noted, unconstitutional. Some good news, though, came out yesterday. Another new court court decision against the mandate from the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Missouri, which issued a preliminary injunction on the Biden mandate requiring health care workers to be vaccinated by January 4th. And that applies in 10 states. Now, the mandate's ultimate fate is still uncertain. But what if you are one of the people faced with forced vaccination or these heavy handed testing and masking requirements in order to keep your job? What can you do to avoid the financial consequences of such a layoff? Well, these are questions on a lot of Christian Minds, and we're going to get some thoughts on it today from Chuck Bentley, CEO of Crown Financial Ministries, who has tackled this question himself. Chuck, so good to talk to you again. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Janet. Thank you for having me today, and I appreciate all your good work. Well, thank you so much. So we hear all these stories about people losing their jobs, healthcare workers, for example, because of this government-imposed vaccine mandate, mandates from private companies. What are your thoughts on this whole subject, just in a general way? Well, in a general way, I want to give some people, I want to give insight into some of the people that I'm talking to. I get emails, I get uh, requests to, uh, to speak with people or folks calling in our account, for our counselors, even people I met with in my local church to talk about the issue. And I would say, first of all, they're not people on the fringe. These aren't outliers. These are not some crazy radicals that are just trying to put up a silly protest. These are people who are um, very deliberate, they're uh, intelligent, they're informed, they're not following a political agenda. They have legitimate reasons for following their conscience. Uh, Some that I know have had vaccine injury in their family. Uh, Children have been injured or or a loved one, uh, and they're very concerned about the side effects that are often not publicized. Others have immunodeficiencies where the vaccines are not going to be effective under any circumstance. And then others with natural antibodies. They've already survived COVID. They feel like they're putting themselves at risk to go through a vaccine. And they're being treated as outcasts. And they feel very badly about uh, the way sometimes even in their church they're being spurned. But I've talked to these people. I've tried to give them advice on how to prepare for their appeal Although I'm not a lawyer, I can read the law like you, Janet, uh, and give them some insight, and then just generally to be proactive about the consequences they may have to face. 
Well, that's all very important. And I'm glad that you went through some of those reasons, because you're right. If you just read the headlines or some of the news outlets that people find on the Internet, you might believe that anybody who refuses a vaccine is just a wacko. And there's no other reason anybody would ever want to refuse a vaccine. Some are medical reasons, like you said, and some have to do with natural immunity. When you are in that situation, though, and let's say I know we're we're going through the court system here on this mandate, whether or not it will hold up remains to be seen. But let's just go with this idea right now that a vaccine mandate is upheld and you're in your job and you are told by your boss, sorry, we have a company of 100 or more employees. You're going to have to get the vaccine. What are some of the things that you can do as an employee to respond to your employer and say, you got to make me a reasonable accommodation? How does that all work? Well, I think that's exactly the way the law is written, that employers are required to make reasonable accommodation to those who choose not to be vaccinated. And the first option is to work from home, especially in today's environment. Companies have adapted to work from home uh, options for their workforce. And if you have that opportunity, I would certainly make that appeal as my first line of defense. Secondly, voluntarily submit yourself to weekly COVID testing. Now, that's unpleasant. People don't like the thought of that, uh, but it will uh, help you to stay in compliance with the law. And employers want to stay in compliance with the law. And employees are willing to say, all right, I'm not vaccinated, but I'll do one of these two things or even both of them in order to be uh, in compliance and to keep my job. Then I think that um, should be upheld. I think that you should be able to keep your job on one of those bases. And if you are terminated and you appealed on the those options, then it would be considered a wrongful termination and the law would be in your favor uh, to be able to appeal that to the courts. Right. Now, now I'm interested. I don't know the nuts and bolts here. Maybe you do better than I do. But when you're talking about make me an accommodation and allow me to work from home, does the mandate as issued by OSHA actually give the employers the right to exempt people who work from home from taking the vaccine? Or are those people also included? In other words, is that really an out? Can you can you take that option and get out of the issue of taking the vaccine, but you still have to be tested? Is that how it's working? Well, Janet, I, I am unfortunately not a lawyer in this case, and so I would, I would have to defer to others who maybe understand the nuances of how that's going to be applied. Right. Let me give you a real case. One of my friends who happens to be in this situation works as a federal contractor and has been working from home since COVID started. Oh, wow. Uh, he's able to do his job from home, and so he's appealed on the basis that he just continued to do that. And in his case, they haven't responded yet because in some ways, I think they're in a little bit of predicament as an employer. They've already allowed him to work from home for more than 18 months. Hmm. Why wouldn't they allow him to continue? Uh, And so they're trying to determine right now how they're going to apply that law, that mandate. Yeah, that is really strange. That would be a difficult thing to say, no, you can't work from home. I know you were working from home for the last 18 months, but all of a sudden, no, it's not going to be possible. And it's interesting, too, because when you look at how the government has applied this uh, emergency temporary standard, they've exempted airlines, for example. I mean, I know there was a New York Post piece yesterday that was talking about this very issue. Well, how much of the health concern is really involved here when you're willing to exempt certain businesses, but put others under this draconian mandate? I mean, 
that would lead to the question about these lawsuits or whether or not somebody who's in that situation might go so far as to challenge it legally in court. I mean, how far is too far, would you say, for an individual to consider doing that? Well, I believe that God calls us to be um, under governing authority and to be people who are not uh, shaking our fist at the, the employer who is trying to do the right thing as well. They're simply trying to stay in compliance. And uh, there's a lot of uncharted waters here. As you said in your opening, uh, this might be declared unconstitutional. Right. So I'd say it, it makes the most sense to be cordial, to be uh, kind and reasonable and objective, and to make your case in a non-threatening way. Right. Uh, certainly, you don't want to do anything that would cause you grounds for termination on the basis of something other than your appeal. So conduct yourself above board at all times. Do what is right, treat others the way you'd want to be treated, and then just trust the Lord for the outcomes. I've seen it go both ways, Janet. I've seen people surprised that their employers have received their appeal. And I've seen others very, very disappointed. So it's not a matter of getting angry and and shaking your fist at the employers. A lot of times that only makes your circumstance worse. Yes, you're right about that. Have you talked to quite a few people who are facing this issue? I mean, what what is the range of responses that you've heard from people about how they're handling it? Well, I talk to people who are airline pilots, people who are in the military, people who are government contractors, people who are working for uh, businesses of greater than 100 employees. So I've actually had an opportunity to talk to probably the, a very, very wide range and I would say it's about 50-50. The one area where I've been able to gather some information I think is helpful to people is some people are falling down or, or getting denials based on religious exemption. Yes. And the reason they are is they're, they're using a very flimsy case that they're just, uh, you know, they, they cite some verse in the Scripture and say, but you know, this says I don't need to be vaccinated. Well, the next question is, how many vaccines have you received before this? Well, you know, that's an an interesting question. Hang it right there, if you would, Chuck, because I want to get back to this. But we do need to pause for a very quick station break. Chuck Bentley with us from Crown Financial Ministries. We'll come right back on Janet Mefford today. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. Esther is 17 years old and part of the Maasai tribe in Kenya, Africa. Like many of her age and gender, Esther was subjected to practices not taught in the Bible. One is arranged marriage, where a woman is forced to marry someone she doesn't know. The other is female circumcision, done out of superstitious belief with no known health benefit. Esther lived with bitter unforgiveness until a Bible League volunteer introduced her to Jesus. Now she's led her husband to Christ, and she's seen 60 young women come to embrace the hope of the gospel. But Bibles are scarce in this part of Kenya. So please join Bible League in sending God's word to Bibleist believers in Africa and around the world for only $5. 20 Bibles costs $100. Make your most generous gift by calling 800 Yes Word. 800 Y E S W O R D. That's 800 937 9673. Or there's a Bible League banner to click at JanetMefford.com. 
A mother's womb has now become the unsafest place in America, with abortion being the leading cause of death and babies being aborted up to term in some states. I was afraid. I was scared. I didn't know what to do. Everybody wanted me to have an abortion. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country, helping moms choose life. You see, when a mom in crisis sees her baby on ultrasound and hears the heartbeat, she's 80% more likely to choose life for her baby. She did let me hit a heartbeat, and I was like, wow, it's something like living inside of me. It was a beautiful thing to hear. Would you join with Preborn and Janet Mefford today and help save 400 babies by the end of this year? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds. And now through a match, your tax-deductible gift is doubled, saving 10 babies' lives. To donate, dial 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, as I mentioned before, there was a very big decision out of the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Missouri yesterday issuing a preliminary injunction regarding this vaccine mandate from OSHA as it relates particularly to healthcare workers in 10 different states. There are more and more lawsuits coming against this vaccine mandate from the government, and people are rightly concerned about it. Chuck Bentley, my guest, CEO of Crown Financial Ministries, is going into some of these issues, particularly if you are one of those people who will face this issue on the job and also the financial uncertainty that can come when you have to leave your job potentially. But you weren't raising this issue, Chuck, before we went to break about religious exemptions. Now, I know that there are a lot of Christians who have said the abortion issue is what really matters to me because there have been developments of these vaccines involving fetal cell lines. And if I actually participate in taking that vaccine, I am you know, complicit to some degree in the taking of a human life. This issue seems to be very much differently seen depending on who you talk to. What, what is your sense of things? Because you, you reference the fact that some Christians say, well, I just I don't believe in vaccines. That, that would be a hard thing to prove, wouldn't it, uh, as far as, uh, you know, really having a solid case there? Well, I've seen uh, a very specific case of one who appealed on the basis that um, the, uh, harvested material from uh, aborted fetuses are being used in the particular vaccine that he objected to. Mm-hmm. And the employer denied the appeal. Right. Uh, now, I'm not sure that he's not going to have a basis for a higher appeal to possibly in the courts. But the employer did not uh, accept that argument on the basis that um, there are other alternatives. There are supposedly alternatives for the vaccine to receive the vaccine that don't include uh, harvesting aborted uh, fetuses. Uh, the other issue that I've seen under the religious exemption argument is that uh, one of my friends appealed to his employee on the basis of freedom over his own, um, what is placed into his body based on the Nuremberg trials of 1947. Yes. And it was a very reasoned, well thought out case that what the Nazis had forced the Jews to do should not be done to anybody else in, in all of society. And he felt like he had the same protection as a believer that the Jews had as a result of the Nuremberg trials. Now, again, that employer has not decided whether he gets to stay or go. Uh, but I thought it was a very good argument. And I've also seen others write letters on the basis of fighting the laws protecting religious freedom. Right. 
And they didn't give any specific of why they saw religious freedom on their side. They just reminded their employer that under the practice of freedom of religion, that they were claiming that as their protection under the law. They didn't make a threat. They didn't say, I'm going to sue you or, I'm, you know, I'm going to uh, uh, come after you if you deny this. I just want you to be aware that I think the law is on my side. Yeah. And in that particular case, that they were granted the exception. That's interesting. And the Nuremberg Code argument is very interesting as well. And I think, you know, it's very, it was something that really is important for people to keep in mind is we are seeing on the left, especially this increasing hostility against religion. As we all know, we've been watching this unravel for quite a while. And it is kind of shaky ground when you think that it's really not up to, at least philosophically, it's not up to your employer or the state to tell you what your religious conscience is. But we are in the position of being reliant upon the employer or the state to grant us religious exemptions. And and that alone for some Christians is problematic because they say, well, why should I have to prove I have religious freedom? That's given to me by God. Why does the employer get the final say on whether or not it's legitimate or sincere? That's that's another angle. Well, I think so, Janet, and I think it's yet to be seen how this is all going to sort out. Uh, I do appreciate the fact that there are a number of states who have uh, pushed back in the courts, and we're going to see that um, ultimately determined, I think, uh, over time. In the, in the meantime, for those who are terminated, those who don't win the the uh, exemption that they're seeking, I've tried to help them face the consequences with faith. You know, we get so fearful because we often think that our employer is our provider. <laughs> but the Bible makes a distinction very clearly that only God is our provider. Right. He is Jehovah Jireh. Yep. Now, he uses an employer to provide for you, and he expects us to work. But he will provide, and he will be faithful. If the government terminates your contract, if your employer says they don't agree with you and you have to go, he is still your provider. Amen. That you, You've not been terminated from that ultimate relationship with the faithful one who provided you that job in the first place. And so there'll be no interruption in his care for you. There'll be no downside to trusting him no matter what comes into your future. I've actually been working with a young couple in our church that I just have grown to love, and they have really grown in their faith, knowing that uh, their their future is in his hands, not in the federal government's. Amen. That's a really good reminder. Very basic, but we need reminders at, at times of stress, like if you're about to potentially lose your job. You also talking about the talk about the importance of planning for the possibility of a job change. Clearly, for a lot of Americans, if if the person were to lose his or her job, that could have some really bad consequences financially for many families. How would you advise someone in that position to prepare for a potential job loss and maybe sock away some money? What would you recommend? Well, we're in a paradox right now where the last thing our, our country needs are people being terminated uh, and, and being uh, you know, laid off during a time when there's a labor shortage. Yeah, right. Uh, we have businesses that cannot function because there's not enough people to fill their spots right now. So there is an opportunity to get rehired in a market like this. But I do recommend for people to be prepared financially and emotionally and spiritually. I think having... Uh, a budget that can be adjusted, uh, particularly for an interruption in your income, 
I believe activating your prayer network, talking to people in advance of a decision that your employer may make, so that you have some options laid out for where God may be leading you for your next assignment. Uh, don't just assume that it's going to work in your favor, because as you have said earlier, Janet, uh, some people are being um, surprised. You know, it's so crazy to me that even medical professionals who can make their own decision about these things are being terminated at a time when they're needed most. Yes, you're right about that. And that's always good advice, isn't it, to plan for the loss of a job? Because that could happen to anybody for any reason at any time. And that's wouldn't that be something permanent that you would recommend Christians are always thinking about putting money aside in the event of a rainy day or in the event of a job loss? Well, the Bible tells us that we're to be people that are prepared. God is a God of order. He's a God that... Uh, thinks long-term, and he teaches us to think beyond the, the today, that we're, we're to think eternally about the financial decisions that we make. And um, our, our role is to show wisdom so that when something bad happens, we're, we're people who have been prepared for those things. Uh, we don't get caught off guard by trials and tribulations. He told us those things are going to happen. He told us whether your house is built on the rock or the sand, that storms will come. And only those who've built their financial house on the rock, meaning God and his principles, will stand and will be able to endure a trial. Right. That's great. What about the issue of unemployment benefits? I know there are four states now that I've been familiar with that are uh, overriding this mandate and saying if you are laid off because of the vaccine mandate, you can receive unemployment benefits, which is not typical. Um, are you seeing any news at all that, that unemployment benefits might be a direction that a lot of people can go in if they lose their job and they really need a steady income for a time before they get back on their feet? Is that a viable option, do you think? Well, your information may be nearer than mine, but I have actually counseled with uh, one who lost their job, and the employer said that because it was company policy that you had to have the mandate, you're in violation of company policy, therefore you're not being laid off, you're being fired. And on the basis of being fired, they would, they refused to provide unemployment benefits. Now, mm-hmm. if the states are overriding that, uh, I would that's information that I would need to know, Janet. But one thing that uh, comes into play for the folks I'm talking to is that measure that, weigh that into your decision for uh, what may be next in your life. If unemployment is not available, then uh, you and your family need to be prepared for that, possibly a, a long duration of having to live out of your own savings. Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. These legislatures are making these moves. I'm looking at one of the stories, and and there are four Republican-controlled states are changing unemployment laws to combat the COVID-19 vaccine mandate. So maybe some more states will follow suit. But that, yeah, that's important for people to know about. What about our witness? Chuck, I'm just curious for your perspective on the kind of witness for Jesus Christ that we can be when we're in a tough situation at work in general. Because you said before, it's very important for you to be cordial if you're having this issue at work, and clearly that's true, but how about considering how we represent Jesus Christ at work if we're faced with a situation like this? Well, I think that this is an opportunity to show the love of God. We're so judgmental and so quick to cancel and and to be harsh with other people. I actually had a friend call me whose family could not agree to meet on Thanksgiving because of the vaccine versus unvaccinated versus unvaccinated controversy. Oh, man. And uh, there there was just strife and division and 
and uh, very harsh words among uh, God's people, even in a, in a family. So I'm recommending whether a person, there's legitimate reasons why uh, so many have elected to be vaccinated, and I don't hold that against them. That's their choice. Right. And there are those who have legitimate reasons for remaining unvaccinated. I don't know all of their reasons, but I shouldn't condemn them. The Bible tells us that we're not to be people who bring uh, judgment and condemnation on others, that on a disputable matter, on something we may disagree with, what I'm seeing is some of the unvaccinated are being treated as unclean, I know. as the, the outcasts. They're being blamed and disparaged, and yet they would say, well, look at the most vaccinated uh, nations in the world. They have some of the highest uh, outbreak uh, percentages and, and cases of hospitalization. You're so right. Chuck Bentley, check out Crown Financial Ministries, crownonline.org. Thanks so much, Chuck, and we'll be right back. This Janet Meffer Today podcast is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-601-BABY. That's 855-601-2229 or visit preborn.com. This is Janet Meffer Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Meffer. Anytime you see news of a survey about some theological question, you still, I think after all of these surveys that have been taken over the last decade, react a little bit with, well, let's just say less than positivity, a little bit of skepticism, a little bit of dread perhaps fills my soul when I think of Pew Research Center revealing these new statistics on what Americans believe about heaven and hell, although some of the results are a little bit surprising. Our friends at Christianity Today, she said, wink, wink, nod, nod, uh, reported on this, but this is a legitimate story, of course. Most Americans more or less believe that hell is other people, according to Pew's pandemic-inspired study on suffering and the problem of evil. This just came out. Yet when it comes to the actual hell and heaven, in the same survey, Pew found many Americans believe in an afterlife where suffering either ends entirely or continues in perpetuity. Very interesting. Pew surveyed 6,400 some American adults, including 1,400 evangelicals in September, specifically about their views on heaven, hell, reincarnation, fate, prayer, and other metaphysical matters. Today, 73% of Americans believe in heaven, while 62% believe in hell. Meanwhile, one in four Americans don't believe in heaven or hell. Instead, 7% believe in a different kind of afterlife, quote unquote, while 17% don't believe in any afterlife. I would love to get a hold of some of those people in the latter categories and ask them this very important question. If you believe in a different kind of afterlife, what kind of afterlife do you believe in? And where do you get your information on the existence of said afterlife? One of the characteristics, unfortunately, of our modern age is people take their spirituality and just wing it. I'm not saying there is such a thing as nebulous spirituality the way it's used in the modern context where I'm just, I feel spiritual. I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. You know, people talk like that all the time and it's so shallow and it's so empty and it's just kind of self-helpy. It, it doesn't have any content. There's not really any authority behind it whatsoever. They're not using any sort of sacred scripture in order to back up what they believe. They're just kind of feeling their way through. What a danger to your soul. My goodness. 
if you don't know whether or not there's a heaven or hell, where would you turn to in order to determine the existence or lack thereof of either heaven or hell? I would also like to know from some of these people who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. Now, there have been surveys on this question, of course, and I think we're back to the whole moral therapeutic deism problem where most people just believe if you're a good person and you're trying and you have good intentions, then of course you'll go to heaven. As R.C. Sproul used to call it, it's justification by death. If you die, that means you'll go to heaven because God's a good guy. He's not going to do anything bad to me. I'm not Hitler. I'm not Osama bin Laden. I'm not as bad as those guys down the street who are always partying and making loud noises in their backyard where they're whooping it up and who knows what kind of drugs they're doing. I'm not like those people down there. We all think that, don't we? I'm better than those people. And yet you think of what the Bible says about the publican and the Pharisee as Jesus talked about it. Here is the Pharisee. Oh, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like those people. Oh, I do this and I obey the law and I'm so good and I'm so wonderful. And the publican can barely lift his eyes because he's feeling so overcome by his sin and says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that is the one who walks away justified because he gets it. He understands he's in trouble. He understands his sin. He understands how he has disobeyed God's law. And the Pharisee is too busy patting himself on the back to worry about his own life. He's too worried about all those other people who don't obey the law of God as well as he does. And of course, we know how Jesus opened up that whole that whole scam of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and did it so well, Matthew 23, for example. Back to Pew, the vast majority of those who believe in heaven say they believe heaven is definitely or probably a place where people are free from suffering, are reunited with loved ones who died previously, can meet God and have perfectly healthy bodies. And about half of all Americans view hell as a place where people experience psychological and physical suffering, 53%. That's true. But they probably don't believe they're going there and become aware of the suffering they created in the world. That's an interesting perspective. Is any of this tied to offending God? Is any of it tied? Suffering they created in the world. You did bad deeds and therefore you deserve to go. But what about the offense to God? And on the flip side, what about the joys of heaven? Listen, I agree with that line that talks about if, if and it was from some Puritan, I can't recall off the top of my head whose quote it originally was, but it was, if I went to heaven and Christ were not there, I would leave immediately because heaven without Christ is not heaven. It is the presence of Christ that makes heaven so joyful and such a relief and so magnificent. He is the reason that heaven will be wonderful. It isn't because of streets of gold or reuniting with grandma. It's The presence of Jesus Christ, our Savior, the one who went to the cross for us and rose again from the dead for us when all we deserved was his wrath. And he said, God so loved the world. And it came down and died on a cross and died a criminal's death that he didn't deserve to die for me. I don't care about the streets of gold. I want to see Jesus. That's how I feel about it. Anyway, the rest of this survey is quite kind of interesting. There is wide variance among Christians on the question of whether many religions can lead to eternal life in heaven or if their religion is the one true faith leading to heaven. Protestants are more than twice as likely as Catholics to say that their faith is the one true faith leading to eternal life in heaven. Well, uh, half of evangelicals express this view. On the other hand, 44% of evangelical Protestants say that many religions can lead to eternal life in heaven. All right. All right. 
fantastic. You knew there was that buried in there that you'd have. Here, how about this one? Two thirds of U.S. adults believe deceased people are reunited with loved ones in heaven. But listen to this. The percentage of U.S. adults who believe people definitely and probably can become angels. 43% of U.S. adults. Okay, you don't turn into an angel when you die. Why would you turn into, where are you getting that? Are you, are you watching too much Roma Downey? I don't understand. Why, why would you become an angel? Again, you have to have special revelation outside of your feelings or you'll say anything and believe anything. That's the danger. They believe that people definitely or probably are able to have relationships with people who are still living on earth. Again, is this Michael Landon, Highway to Heaven? You're not going to have relationships with people on earth when you're in heaven. <laughs> the Bible does not, nowhere does it teach that. And also can choose whether or not you want to stop existing. Well, that would be convenient for people who go to hell, wouldn't it? You can just choose. You know, I don't like burning in eternal flame. I think that I'll stop existing. Doesn't that make you God? God has eternally existed and God can't not exist. So you would have more power than God Almighty in order to decide your own evaporation from existence. People are, I mean, people really need God's word, don't they? This is a takeaway. And just, there's so many people who just don't understand the basics of the Bible. And that's a real tragedy. It's up to Christians to make sure that we can tell people what the Bible really teaches. Oh, by the way, I'm going to get into this now. There are a couple new Bible translations coming out. Don't get excited. The Dallas Morning News reports on this new version of the New Revised Standard Version, because we always have to have new versions all the time. They're, they're focusing on the fact that eight Texans rewrote the Bible. It's the NRSVUE released November 16th, and is, it's a subsidiary of the National Council of Churches. Well, that's never good. It includes dozens of denominations. Bible translations are typically done by committees of scholars with expertise in ancient languages. This update was conducted by seven general editors and 56 book editors over a span of two years, including some Texans. That's exciting. It was created with consideration for modern sensibilities that identify people less by their circumstances. Really, is that what the Dead Sea Scrolls indicate? Don't identify the slave girl, the servant girl, as a servant, because that would be demeaning to her. Let's call her a female servant instead. Like, that makes such a difference. Servant girl, female servant. What difference does it make? Uh, I don't know. Oh, enslaved woman is now rendered enslaved woman. What, what, so what? what? Okay. Anyway, demoniacs, epileptics, and paralytics are now people possessed by demons or having epilepsy or afflicted with paralysis. Whatever happened to this directive that all writers hear, write in the most clear, concise way. And there's an even worse Bible coming out. I'll tell you about that when we come back. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. Back in a moment. Hi, this is Janet Mefford for Preborn. Candace talks about finding out she was pregnant. Thankfully, an ultrasound provided by Preborn allowed her to hear her baby's heartbeat. The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just 
Candace to mom, thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love. Would you make a leadership gift and sponsor a machine today? These life-saving machines cost more than most centers can afford. Your tax-deductible gift of $15,000 will place a machine in a needy women's center and save countless lives for years to come. And now through a match, your gift is doubled. All gifts are tax-deductible. To donate, call 855-402-BABY, 855-402-BABY, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. Authorities in China are making life difficult for Christians. It's against the law to share Christ with children under age 18. We cannot preach to children under 18. That is their practice and law. But when the parents bring kids to the church, when you can teach them English, and then you can send the gift of gospel to them, it is a great joy. Believers are teaching English to young people using a Bible League program that uses God's Word as the source of the reading assignments. And many are coming to embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior and sharing Him with their families. Please join Bible League in sending God's Word to bible believers in China and around the world for only $5 per Bible. $50 sends 10, $500 sends 100. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, or there's a Bible League banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Thank you for your support. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Speaking of Bible translations that you are doing well to avoid, there's a new Bible coming out called the Feminine Translation Version. I'll be avoiding that one like the plague. This is from Religion News Service. The Holy Bible Feminine Translation Version seeks to end biblical misogyny. What is biblical misogyny? (laughs) Eve gave Adam the fruit to eat. Was that misogynistic? Don't know. Here's what it says. A 14-year Bible study has recently ended with a major discovery. Translation of the New Testament gender of the Holy Spirit in traditional Bibles has not been the same as the Old Testament gender. Okay. Traditionally, the New Testament Holy Spirit has been translated from Greek to be a neutral gendered spirit. It has... Uh, my Bible has he describing the Holy Spirit. Okay. I don't know what Bible these people are reading or translated from Latin to be a masculine gendered spirit. The Holy Bible feminine translation version solves this human language induced gender confusion by translating the Holy Spirit to be feminine gendered, which is consistent with the same feminine gender of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. What are you talking about? Then they go on to say the Holy Bible feminine translation version is a word for word translation commonly known as a literal translation, right? You're calling the Holy Spirit she, and I'm supposed to believe this is a literal translation. Sorry, wasn't born yesterday. It's classified as a study Bible. <laughs> uh, you know, studying heresy, I guess. Uh, and then it just gets weirder from there. It, it talks about this Bible uh, is an added human resource of sight that incites a new and more complete understanding of scripture with some unique results, the feminine attributes of God and the consistency of salvation through the cross. You know, guys, it's just not this complicated. We've got plenty of good versions of the Bible that have already been released and we're doing just fine. We don't need a feminine Bible. Enough of the feminism, folks. Knock it off. The Bible is not misogynistic. It is God's holy word. Quit messing with it. Doesn't Revelation have something to say along those lines? 
All right, I want to get to this too. As you know, coming up on Wednesday, the Dobbs case will be heard, oral arguments for the Dobbs case will be heard uh, concerning that law out of Mississippi that bans abortions uh, after 15 weeks. And this is going to be a huge case. I'm going to get into it in more detail on Wednesday's show. But I want to catch up a little bit here from the Federalists. They talk about the fact that Democrats are making war on religious institutions just in time for the holidays. And I wanted to share a little of this with you. The week before Thanksgiving, the Department of Health and Human Services announced it had revoked waivers that the Trump administration granted to three states. Because of these waivers, faith-based organizations could continue receiving federal dollars to provide adoption services while abiding by non-discrimination provisions in a manner consistent with their religious beliefs. Fair enough. But with the Biden administration's revocation of the waivers, residents in South Carolina, Texas and Michigan could now have fewer agencies available to serve their needs. At the same time, lawmakers on Capitol Hill worked to force religious organizations to choose between participating in new federal child care programs or violating their religious beliefs. These people really do not grasp that our rights are given to us by God and not by government. These people want to oppress Christians in the worst way. They want to stamp out biblical truth in the worst way. Don't you dare talk about the nuclear family as being God's only design for the family, even though it is. Don't you talk about there only being male and female. You are a transphobe. No, there's no such thing as a transgender. It's an invented word, and it's meant to describe people who need medical and perhaps psychological intervention, certainly spiritual intervention, because they are confused about their God-given sex for various reasons, uh, or, or having to do with homosexuality, or having to do with other forms of aberrant sexuality. The Bible condemns those things. There is a normal. This is what you're not allowed to say. There is a normal. And we've come up with a word for it. They say it's cisgendered. We say that it's heterosexual, but really it's just normal. It's normal. It's normal for boys to like girls and it's normal for girls to like boys. And then there are aberrations that come along and that are sinful. And also people who do find themselves attracted to the opposite sex. There's plenty of sin that you can engage in, obviously, even if you are normal heterosexual. So obviously we know this living in sin, you know, adultery, all of these things. So we're we're all messed up. Anyway, the bill House Democrats passed on November 19th would apply a host of federal laws to any program or activity receiving funds under the new child care regime. These requirements would impose significant philosophical and other conflicts on religious organizations participating in the child care program. They could alter lesson content prohibit hiring preferences for instructors of the same faith and force groups to undertake costly renovations to antiquated buildings. Moreover, a separate ban on using funds for buildings or facilities that are used primarily for sectarian instruction or religious worship could nix arrangements like a daycare run in a church basement. They just want to get rid of public Christianity is what they want. They think it's terrible. Instead, you have to adhere to secular values. Some people actually use that phrase, secular values, and I don't think that that's a good phrase. Why is that? Because the values that are embraced in a secular context could be Christian values, too. That's how our country ran for many, many years. We basically embraced Christian values, not across the board, but we did. Secular values now mean atheistic, naturalistic 
and LGBT and progressivism and Marxism and critical race theory and intersectionality. That's what accounts for, quote unquote, secular values. But they're wrong. They're wrong. I I don't really care. Yeah. And I get a little frustrated at times, I must admit, with Christians who will look at the world and say, well, the world's just being the world. Yes, I agree. The world is just being the world. And at a certain point, you can't change the world. I get that. And you can't expect non-Christians to act like Christians. But there are limits to that theory as well. Do we jettison all of the laws concerning murder because those people aren't Christians anyway? And the people who are enforcing the laws aren't Christians? And it's just offensive to try to impose Christianity on the society? And that's, that's ridiculous. No, murder is wrong no matter what religion you are. And everybody recognizes that. So... There's a blurring of the line sometimes if you try to become too strident in defending your position that we we just can't impose Christianity on our culture. Well, we're to be salt and light in our culture. And it's easy to say that and sometimes harder to do. But this is why Christians need to be involved in every aspect of life. We need Christian policemen. We need Christian teachers. We need Christian politicians. Boy, do we need Christian politicians. We need Christian journalists. We need Christian engineers. Across the board, we need Christians in every walk of life. Uh, Reasonable walk of life. We don't need Christian drug dealers, but other things that are legitimate jobs, we certainly need Christians in those posts because we understand that if there aren't Christians there, there will be non-Christians there. And that changes the whole ball game, doesn't it? But if we are to be those who make a difference for Jesus Christ in the society, then we have to be Christians who are walking according to the will of God and the word of God. That's what's so difficult. When I was reading that survey that was taken by Pew about whether or not Americans believe in heaven and or hell, it's frustrating when you're in a culture that basically wings their theology or lack thereof. They're just winging it. I've had so many conversations with people who basically wing their lives. And it concerns me as a Christian because life is short and life is very serious. If you are not sure whether or not you would go to heaven You need to settle that. You need to figure out if you'll be going to heaven. Where will you turn for your answer to that question? If you die tonight, the old EE question, if you die tonight, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? On what basis would you go to heaven? On what basis would you go to hell? Well, you need to think about that. And where do you turn for the answers to those questions? You have to turn to the word of God for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John three sixteen. you can go through the Romans road and all of those different verses that are so wonderful, assuring any sinner who turns in repentance and faith and trusts in Jesus Christ alone to have atoned for their sin and to have risen from the dead in order to reconcile them to a holy God. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. It's simple, but it's not easy, but it's simple. You need Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only one who can save you. He's the only assurance you have that the one who will be paying for your sins in eternity is not going to be you because Jesus has already done it. So I would encourage you, if you aren't sure whether or not you're saved, today is the day of salvation. Turn to God's holy word. Read the book of John. Listen to the words of Jesus. You can trust the Bible. And more than that, you can trust the one who provided to us his holy word. 
which is so beautiful and so spotless and so authoritative and inerrant and beautiful. It's a good thing to be a Christian, and I hope you will join the rest of us in praising Jesus Christ now and forever. Thanks for listening. we got to go, but we'll see you next time here on Janet Meffer Today.